the time when wargamers played with chainmail and the rise of the wizards of the coast, there was an age of gamers. And unto this, Gygax, destined to bear the crown jewel of TSR upon a troubled brow, to show you all how to roll for initiative. The Roll for Initiative Podcast, issue number 76. I am DM Vince, sitting alongside DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Good. And DM Nick. Hey, everybody. And our favorite DM Will. <laughs> What's up? The man with the increasing fan base by day. Yeah, I'm, I'm Bismarcky, too. That's apparently, yeah, we have to read that comment about <laughs> Bismarcky. <laughs> so everybody knows. Apparently on Facebook, uh... Our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash RFI podcast, one of our listeners has compared Will to Bismarck E, I guess, because of his voice. Nice. You, you got to sing us. <laughs> you got to sing us a song, Will. Well, I don't think that's singing. I think it's more rapping than it is singing. Yeah. They say he's just a friend. Oh, I don't know. I don't know nothing about that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. When okay. you said Bismarck I was thinking the German leader. I'm. Sorry, I was going. Yeah, world. I was going like World War One. Pointy <laughs> helmet. He sounds like Kaiser von Bismarck. Yes. Yeah. They rolled the dice and they killed him. What they did one day. No, he's not a German soldier. I was assuming they meant Bismarck, the rapper. <laughs> That's what they was talking about. Anyway, uh, we want you to go onto Facebook and like us if you haven't, because we're getting closer to one thousand as we speak. Yes. As we speak, 964. Nice. As of this podcast. So we want to get to 1,000. So rally up your friends. Push their like on their computer when they walk away to go to the bathroom. I don't care if it's the dog, the cat. Get us to 1,000. Yes, because if you get us to 1,000 uh, likes, the old ones shall be released and it will release havoc. Among- oh, maybe not. You're not supposed to say that. I'm sorry. That's a surprise. <laughs> oh, okay. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, now you ruined our secret, Nick. Yeah. No, everybody gets brownies. That's it. <laughs> so what's uh, everyone been up to, Nick? What do you? Been, no, let's, let's start with Matt because Matt wasn't around last time. Matt, yeah, what you Matt, do? what have you been doing? Not a lot of gaming, unfortunately. Uh, I got well, well, missed last show because I was working a pro wrestling show, uh, a rare Sunday afternoon one. Uh, if, yep. If you're in the Cincinnati area, nwfwrestling.com is the website for the Northern Wrestling Federation, the promotion that I do uh, video uh, camera work and production for. So, uh, if you so oh, wow. want to watch some professional wrestling in the Cincinnati area, nwfwrestling.com. Um, we've had a few people of note come start with our promotion. So, um, okay. but. Uh, like who? Like who? Like who? Um, uh, the Monster Abyss in uh, TNA started with us. I, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl Anderson, who's in New Japan Pro Wrestling, Jillian Hall started with us, and uh, Wildcat Chris Harris, that was in TNA, started with us. Oh God! Did Jillian Hall sing while she was there too? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I I do know her ex-husband though, and I also known her from before she had all the work done. I. Yeah, I met her a long, long time ago. I'll just say that. Well, she uh, was so good looking then. I mean, uh, when she very first started, when she had like curly brownish hair, um, and 
That's way before I knew her then. Okay. Yeah, I I knew her before she start. I first saw her before she even stepped foot in a wrestling school. That's how far back. No, no she, King Kong Bundy. No King Kong Bundy, but the guy that runs the NWF, Roger Ruffin, uh, refereed for the WWF for like twenty some years. So I'm sure he's refereed many a King Kong Bundy match. Awesome. It's so <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, he was the referee for like the Bret Hart Roddy Piper match at WrestleMania oh. Eight. Oh, and, look at that. Yeah, or, or if you Piper. remember when uh, Jake the Snake Roberts had the cobra bite Randy Savage, he was the referee that grabbed Randy Savage's foot, letting Jake Roberts jump him so he could be, by the, be bitten by the snake. So it's kind of his fault Randy got bit by the cobra. <laughs> I do have to say I'm looking at the pictures of the roster on this website, and some of the people look hilarious. I'm sorry. That's so, indie the, wrestling the, in general. The Kirk Shepard guy, if you look him up, it looks like he's a gamer or something. Yeah. to just plopped into the ring <laughs> yeah he's one of the managers oh okay that explains it then yeah yeah he's a manager cool all right nwf that reminds me of a, a, a wrestling sim i was in nightmare wrestling federation oh, just you don't know. confuse it with the other nwf wrestling that was some like weird kids promotion in like minneapolis oh. back in the like early late 80s or something mm, yeah, yeah i remember that anyway cool Maybe you can uh, keep us updated on your progress with that. Oh, absolutely. Brother. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I never know. With the way Hogan owes money now, he might be going through there someday. Tomatoes running wild. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) At Rare Center. (laughs) How does he do that Slim Jim thing? That's that's that's, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sniff it to a Slim Jim. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's <a> taste. <laughs> oh, no, I'm dead. Heart attack. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that's messed up. <laughs> that is messed up, Dick. Yeah, that's I'm a sick. Three uh, Electrum for you now. No more Electrum for you. No more Electrum? <laughs> I get copper now. You've been demoted. Very well. Sad. <laughs> that's too funny. That's hilarious. Anyway, so, uh, Will, what have you been doing? Uh, well, I've been doing some gaming and everything. Got to slow down a little bit because uh, the gaming convention, Comic-Con cycle starts this month. So I'm going to uh, GameStorm in Vancouver, Washington, which is an exceptional gaming convention. So if you're all in this area, I, I would advise anyone to go to it because I tell you, it's just an awesome convention. Uh, very well organized, plenty of free food, and I'm telling you, just tons and tons of, of gaming, whether it be role-playing games or board games or miniature games, what have you. And then we got, of course, the great and illustrious uh, Emerald City Comic Con, which is going to be in uh, Seattle. And I think last year they got like 32,000 people there. And, you know, you get all the great super guests there and everything. So, I mean, I, I think I put down there on the post this morning, my main goal is to see George Takei. I want to make sure I get a picture with him. And, Vince, for you, I'm going to try and get an autographed picture for you from Will Wheaton. So I know you really like the guy. So. <laughs> you, know, you see that? Apparently Will Wheaton hates me. What? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I did to Will Wheaton, but he hates me. He blocked me on Twitter. But I follow him and said, I I went to go follow because I noticed he wasn't on my Twitter anymore. And it said, there's a problem. You've been blocked. I'm like, Will Wheaton hates me? (laughs) (laughs) Were you trolling Will Wheaton on Twitter? I don't know. Maybe because I said he was an S actor. But, you know, (laughs) 
Well, well uh, I mean, poor Wesley Crusher. I can't help him out with that. But uh, <laughs> so I, I was hoping to try and get an autograph with him or an autograph picture, and I can send it to you. I'm gonna say to my best friend Vince. <laughs> so <laughs> I missed him. He was a friend you on Twitter. <laughs> Matt, was it Gen yeah, Con last year? Yeah, he was at Gen Con last year with uh, Felicia Day and some of the other guild members. He did that celebrity uh, dungeon, didn't he, with uh, Frank Metzer and them? I think he did. Yeah. Yeah, um, sir. <laughs> I don't know if that was impressive or not. I think it's something I could have put a pass on, no doubt in my mind. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, with that said, so that's my two in March. Then April, I got two. Then in May, I got one. Then in June, I got another one. It just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just so many this year to go to, and I'm just can't wait to get it started. Cool. Hmm. Cool, Nick. Yeah. Um. Actually, for as far as gaming situation. Uh, had two games in the past. Well, let's see. Had one this weekend and two weeks ago. So we actually had them almost back to back. So we pretty interesting time. I've <laughs> I've really messed with the group. Like we're doing a kind of a Castle Greyhawk thing, right? Uh, I think I mentioned that before. And um, I kind of put a little twist on things because you know it's a Castle of a Mad Archmage. In fact, that's the adventure I'm using: the Castle of the Mad Archmage. And uh, I thought I'd put a little twist on things, and they uh, find in one of the uh, areas, and this is in the module, but I kind of put a little bit of my own personal twist on it. There was an eight-foot-tall statue of an ape that was wearing a fez and had a little cup in his hand. And one of the, uh, one of the characters in the party dropped a little uh, gold piece in there, and it started making, like, you know, monkey noises, and this mist started to roll in. They go through the mist, and next thing they know, they're on the Isle of Dread. <laughs> oh, nice. So, yes, they are now on the Isle of Dread, and they have to find their way back to the dungeon. They heard rumors from their, from the tribes that they were with. when They they were on the wrong end. If anybody's familiar with the Isle of Dread, they're on the wrong side of the uh, of the wall. <laughs> so, Good. They had Good. the two, like, two, three-day trek to the uh, to the wall, they took down a mastodon, and so they they uh, helped the, the tribe take down a mastodon, had a big old feast. They said they had helped them to take them to the Forbidden City of the Gods, which is up on the plateau. And they, that might be their um, way out of here, if you will. So, yeah, I've actually mixed it up a little. I put in uh, the Forbidden City is the adventure, dwellers of the Forbidden City. So... <laughs> They're going through that right now, and uh, there's one other. So it's like a mini campaign within the campaign, if you will. So I've always wanted to do like a lost world, lost continent kind of thing. So And they're really digging it. They're really enjoying it. They already took down like a Triceratops and, jeez, uh, what else? They, they got you know they got hammered by some rock baboons. Uh, <laughs> Great. Yeah, That's really, awesome. Yeah, they're having a real good time with it. So, yeah, that's what's been going on past couple of weeks. So. Cool. Me, I've been doing my actual play podcast. You can keep up with that at epicwords.com slash Finn to go there. And uh, we're on the fourth podcast. Well, by the time it comes out, it'll be the fourth one will be out. Uh, so far, we had one player. Looks like they may have dropped out. And uh, one character oh, death. 
Shh, we're supposed to say that, Nick. Oh, was- sorry. <laughs> yes, Nick just blew the bubble there, so uh, or burst the bubble, I should say. Yeah, we had one character death so far because of one player wandering off on their own. I won't uh, say anything they- else. They were just playing their character. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Almost had something like that, actually, in last night's game. Had someone, he's playing a Cavalier. And he was playing his character like he wouldn't, you know, Cavaliers, they won't back down from a fight. Mm-hmm. What's he? He's being attacked by, uh, what is it, Leoman's Faithful Hound? Yeah. Can't kill it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the description. You can't kill it. The only way you could do is dispel it. And he's trying to fight this thing. I'm like, no, <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> Run away. Yeah, so there is a, a spot open. I should say that now, RFISTAFGmail.com, if you're interested. I just need someone that's dedicated to play every Saturday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with a decent uh, microphone uh, set up. I don't like to have one of those people that are like, what? What did he do, Nick? Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Just get Charlie Brown on there, but you know, it's that Charlie Brown teacher talk. Or or when they're talking... Oh. oh yeah, geez. I'm. It's, that's <laughs> what I'm like. You're the driver with yeah. a broken mic. <laughs> or they sound like they should be the leader of a banana republic. Yeah. Well, they work for the subway, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can go to uh, iTunes and type in WGP Presents for Wild Games Productions Presents uh, OSR Gaming, and you'll find that podcast there. Along with, I heard that DM Brian from Thacko's Hammer is going to be releasing his actual play podcast for 2E. Oh. Uh, so we should be hearing that real shortly because he's editing now. He was just asking me the other day how to upload it. So you should be seeing it on that feed as well. So you'll have two actual play podcasts from our group coming out now. Cool. It's cool. Uh, looking over at Facebook real quick, I just want to make an announcement that uh, GnomeCon is coming up in Savannah, Georgia, April 20, 20th to 22nd. Uh, they're offering RFI fans a pre-registration deal, three-day membership, T-shirt, set of six-sided dice for thirty-five dollars while supplies last. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's for three days. Cool. Yeah, you can't beat that. No. Um, let's see here. He said that uh, reservations nine one two seven four eight six four six four. I'll just put this in the in the uh, the chat window for you, Matt. You can throw it up on the notes. Okay. Because there's a lot of stuff we put here, but uh, forty nine ninety nine per room. It's their set rate for the con. Wow! So that's pretty good. Nice. Yes, if you're in that area or you like traveling to cons, <coughs> will you might yeah. want to do that? <laughs> will will? Yeah. Where's it says Savannah, Georgia? Yeah, Savannah, Georgia. Oh cool. yeah, that's over there by South Carolina. Wow, that's way over there and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. no, nah, I mean that's not bad at all. I mean forty nine ninety five for a room. That's awesome when when the average room here costs one hundred twenty for cons. Hey, so, fridge in every room. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should head on over there. I got I got to head over to the to the East Coast as soon as possible. Hit some more of those cons like Dragon Con, and some of those other ones like not Corn on the Cob. Con on the Cob. Con on the con. <laughs> I was making fun of DM Vince. Yeah. <laughs> That's in my neck of the woods. Right. Yeah, I know. I'm just giving Vince a hard time. <laughs> I don't like you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple people were asking on Facebook if we're going to release any more DM screens. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have. I have a couple left that were misprinted. I'm not giving those out because they look kind of sloppy. 
But no, there is no chance uh, there'll be any more of those being give out, uh, given out. Sorry. It's all right. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, so let's, if anyone has anything else to say, you know, announcements or anything? No? Well, uh, actually, yeah, our iTunes reviews, we have oh. one. Yes. That's right. Nick, stars. Yes, we got stars reviews. So everybody, again, iTunes, just head on over there. You can download any of our podcasts for free for uh, Roll for Initiative. And you can also um, go to rfistaff at gmail.com, notify us there, or head on over to the Facebook, like we said, and friend us there. We have one review this yeah. week from uh, Ranger in the Sky. And he gives us a five-star review, another first edition revert. He goes, I have been enjoying these podcasts during my army deployments. I have listened to every podcast already, easily five stars. I have played every version of D&D. I played AD&D first in the uh, 80s as a teen. I'm going back to it now. I also like some of the things the designers at, at Watsi are saying about D&D next. I'm hoping more old school gamers could have a voice when the play tests start, if the new version is anything like the version that shall not be named, I'll play first ed instead. Good job, guys. And clerics equal blunt weapons. <laughs> I'm like, no! Uh, he's, I got snicker stacked. But, uh, you know, he has a good point. Thank you very much, Ranger. The sky go airborne. And... Uh, that's right. But, Without Jason on the podcast, that leaves it now one to one with the whole weapons versus cleric thing. Yeah, between yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Anywho, what he would say about like D and D next, uh, I'm hoping that they take a lot of uh, input from you know us old, I guess uh, us old fat beards <laughs> that have been around for a while, and. Uh, I know some people can't comment on it, but uh, Matt. Uh, but, oh, look at the pretty doggy. Yes. Oh, yes. Such a good boy. Uh, from what I've heard on our forums, osrgaming.org slash forums. Pimp, pimp. Uh, <laughs> cheap pop, right? I don't really like what I'm seeing so far. It's basically going to be a watered down 4E crap. So I don't really. I don't well, like. I think that I think where I started lo- losing faith in this whole thing was when they started asking questions on, on the site on the Wizard Coast website, saying like, "What should a fighter's you know hit points be at first level max hit points with a constitution of fourteen? Well, uh, duh, sounds like twelve to me. Yeah, but you know they got things like twenty four, thirty six. And I think like uh, what are we fighting? What kind of goblins are we fighting? What kind of kobolds are we fighting at first level? To you know, (laughs) to have your thirty-six hit points. So I'm thinking like, why are you asking people? The power creep has already started, apparently. Oh yeah, I I think it has too. And I I think something else came out like, would y'all like to see different types of dice, like a D sixteen or D three? No, keep the staple six dice that we always had. I just don't get it. I'm lost on the whole thing. So I'm waiting until we'll see what happens this month when all this stuff comes out. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, D&D next week is becoming D&D. Forget about it. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that that means that clerics equals sharp weapons, pierce weapons, bludgeoning weapons, and any other weapon that's not blunt. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> keep it original. Keep it old school. Keep it blunt. 
<laughs> Fine. That's Fine. Be egg line now. Just to annoy Nick every show. I'm taking my dice and I'm going home. <laughs> I also read on Facebook that we could start a drinking game with you. Me? With Will. With Will. Oh, with Will. Oh, that's right. With Will. That's right. I don't understand what they was talking about for that drinking game. <laughs> they were saying every time you say "if you will," I think it was, or no, whatever oh. the case may be. Remember, the whatever says case. whatever the case may be, you take a shot. Take a shot. <laughs> so we have let's be drinking game from save or die, which is every time he says "like," which is every other word. We drunk <laughs> every time you get in the first segment, and you got will. Oh man, okay. I got I got to watch out now. Now I got a drinking game named after me. Great. <laughs> hey, you're famous now. You're an internet celebrity now. Yes. <laughs> you're a minor yeah. celebrity on the internet. You're hated and loved. Oh, yeah. Boy, I, tell you, I got my hate out uh, there. The problems of, of being a celebrity. I tell you. <laughs> well, it wouldn't have happened without you all three, so I don't want to hear nothing about it. It's all y'all's fault. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's my fault because I invited you on the show. Oh, my God. I'm a loser. Oh, la dee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, before we head into Sage Advice, I'd like to say I hate you, Will Wheaton. Let's go into Sage Advice. <laughs> Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. Sage advice. We have a couple things in sage advice today. We have a couple emails and we have a voicemail. If you'd like to send in your voicemail, 570-865-4210, the hotline. Right, Nick? Yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to do it this week. Uh-huh. It's the whole blunt weapon thing. Where we have a rattlesnake standing by. Whoops. Hey. <laughs> anyway, so we have one voicemail. I'll play that first because I always like to encourage voicemails. So here we go. Hi, this is Rachel from Tennessee, and I just want to say how much I love the show. And I have to say, I've been listening for a long time, and it's such a relief not to have to hear Jason anymore. I really enjoy Will. He's so informative. And he gives a lot of great information. I have to admit, Vince is my favorite. But uh, Nick, Matt, you guys do a really great job. And not to trash him, but it's so much better without Jason. He was such a place. I hope you guys are on the air forever. Thanks so much. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Any comments? <laughs> The views now depicted on Roll for Initiative podcast do not necessarily predict the views of the staff. Thank you. Yeah. Like we said, we we play everything, we read everything, so we don't censor things unless there's a curse word. So right. Well, you know, Jason was Jason, and he did the way he he did things, and you know, and so no, it's a woman. We can understand why, but you, you can look it up and figure that out, people out there. Why? So. Well, yeah. I'll say it like this, though. Hey, Rachel from Tennessee. How they talk down there? <laughs> no, it's awesome, though. That, that was that was kind of and everything. So thank you for your kind comments. See, ever since that bad review, people have been calling in and flooding in with all emails and with all the will love. Oh, uh, it's a sweet. 
But there was also some Will hatred on the show earlier, but not necessarily directed at DM Will. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just got that. Yeah, I'm just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but again, thank you, Rachel. That's awesome. From deep down south Tennessee. You, Elvis you know, country. Yeah, definitely. You notice how all the trolls, the people that don't like you, will don't bother writing in or calling in. That's the strangest thing ever, but you you just opened Pandora's box now, my friend, because they're going to do it now. Because <laughs> now they're okay. every week. I can't stand Will. Anyway, the first email comes from James Carpio, who is uh, actually runs the conventions over on Long Island for the Sci-Fi Expo over there. Hmm. And I believe the one in Connecticut. I can't think of the name offhand. Uh, Icon? Connecticon? Icon, yeah. And can, yeah, Kineticon, I think it's called. I was just making that up. There is one called Kineticon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. All right, he reads his email goes as follows. Based on the thread I started over at RSR Gaming Boards, how much is too much when it comes to alien technology and AD&D? I'm not talking about the ray guns or lightsabers being things such as teleporters, levitation devices, or strange armors I'm talking about. While these things can be explained by magic, the origin and make are definitely not of this world. Perhaps I should refocus the question and ask, what do you think of introducing the idea of an alien race from the stars? And if introduced, excuse me, how well do you feel that this belongs in fantasy setting? I'm personally using this idea in a project I am writing, but I always trust RFI's opinion, and I think it would be great to get feedback. Thanks, James Carpio, a.k.a. Ravens Poe on the boards. Guys? Well, I... You know, I think if you can make it work, uh, then then do it. I have no, I personally have no problems with it. I mean, heck, heck, you can look back at, uh, you know, what Expedition to Barrier Peaks, good mm -hmm. example of introducing a sci-fi element into AD and D. I mean, <laughs> there are, and I think that's a good example of like when you introduce those sorts of things, there are limitations. Like if they're trying to figure things out, they might blow up in your face. So, you know, True. they all kind of balance out. Uh, but introducing an, an alien race from another world, I don't foresee a problem with that. I think that would be an interesting, cool twist on things. So yeah, that's, can, my, that's my two electron pieces on it. It could just be a new race. I mean, there's always races out there that are discovered in the fantasy world. Not every little piece of the land is all discovered. Yeah, right. I actually had this idea. It's like now all of a sudden, like, what would I? What would happen if I like introduced like out of UFO lore the Greys <laughs> well, into the whole thing? How interesting would that be? Wasn't there a Deep Anderson module with Tim the Alien or something back in OD and D days? I don't know. Oh, I don't know, but I can I can tell you this though, uh, you already have alien races in first edition uh, D and D, and a lot of people don't know about this, but. Uh, mind flayers yeah. are an alien race. Yeah, you are and absolutely right. They are. And so are abeleths. If you if you're familiar with those yep. in the Moss yeah. Manor too, they're mm -hmm. they're alien. And, and there's a couple other species that are extremely extremely alien, and uh, you already have them. And, and just like I said, expedition into the Barrier Peaks. That should you that should be your main goal is getting that module. Look at the flow charts and how to you know if people find armor or find weapons, just like. Uh, Matt, that was Matt. That was uh, Nick. Yeah, brought that up. Use the flow charts because you roll on the flow chart, and if the weapon blows up in your face, it blows up your face. It disintegrate your head off, and then roll up a new character, or what have you. But uh, no, nah, that's that. That's I, I. I go for expedition to the barrier peaks. Start with that, and then grow from there. I think there was another like adventure. I might have been a box one, Night of the Comet. 
Wasn't there That's another right. one? For- That's right. I believe Night of the Commons. I, no, I haven't seen it. It's downstairs. I haven't seen that in a while. I haven't read that in a long time. But I think that has like some sci-fi elements in it too. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that maybe just to give some ideas, some inspiration. Somebody. Uh, Dungeon Magazine had some for sure. Yeah, I also I someone did like a supplement for original D and D recently. I think the Carcosa supplement. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It, it might there might be some stuff in there. It might be a little too much, a little bit on the dark side. But you know, hey, you know, give it a look. You never know. You can you know mine all those sorts of things for ideas. And but all in all, I think it'd be a pretty cool idea. See how it work in your campaign world. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Uh, next email comes from DM Joe, not the DM Joe again. I'll stress okay. <laughs> Keep asking every time. Is that him? I was just looking through. Uh, hey, RFI. Yeah, RFI. Excuse me. I was just looking through Monster Manual two, and I noticed the Land Lamprey on page eighty has no listed alignment. I was wondering what you guys think their alignment would be, or if Gary ever said anything about this. Thanks, DM Joe. Usually they're just neutral alignment. If there's no alignment, left. yeah. If it's an animal, it's neutral. Yeah. Yeah. If it has an animal intelligence, I believe I believe it's a zero to two, maybe zero to one. I believe it has a neutral alignment. Yeah. I'm taking a look right now to see what it says about intelligence. That was probably just a typo within the uh, when when it went to print. Somebody I missed something. Basic D and D, like classic, they used to always put nil or, or nothing. And right. that'll, that'll, well, here's another classic uh, example of a uh, screw up in the monster manual under Demo Gorgon. His special ability of of magic missiles mm-hmm. that he can cast. He has a to hit roll <laughs> for the magic missile. That goes back to original D and D when you did. Right. Like oh, under Holmes Basic. That's Holmes, isn't it? Yeah, that's Holmes. D and D, where you had the two hit roll for the magic missile, so that kind of got lost in the shuffle there. <laughs> yeah, yeah I see. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the uh, land lamprey has a. Uh, it's actually very pathetic <laughs> for uh, for an intelligence because I, it basically doesn't have any. It says, uh, where did it go again? Intelligence non. It's non-intelligent. Yeah, neutral then. Its yeah. intelligence is not rateable. Yeah, it's just neutral. Just treat it as a neutral creature. That's yeah, all. it's basically just a weird form of the lamprey that lives on land. Yeah. Yes, so. it, its alignment is hungry. I want to suck your blood. That's all it wants to do. Yeah. Alignment hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alignment apathetic. <laughs> There's your answer. Okay, and last email comes from Steve. He says, I was watching the movie Gamers, the second one, and I was wondering about the lightsaber the guy used. How would you incorporate that in your campaign if you would, if you can give me examples how to make that? I'll pass on that because I wouldn't put it in there. <laughs> well, you know, people might be interested in doing that. I don't know. <laughs> I, would, I would think that would be a no. Oh, actually, hold on a second. The lightsaber is in AD&D. Yeah, it's in one of the modules. No, uh, it's in Mon- it's in Unearth Arcana. Oh, the Wand of Force. Oh, jeez, it is the Wand of Force, Unearth Arcana. Let's see if I can grab it here. Hold on, one momento. If you want to make it from scratch, I would definitely say it was a Tinker Gnome item. If you want to go with the whole backstory, and I would say it was a Tinker Gnome item with a I don't know a metal pipe, and they figured a way to fashion the these crystals and they use mirrors inside of it to make a psychic energy blade. Yeah. But uh, yeah, though I remember looking this up. I'm like, 
that's a lightsaber. Here is the Wand of Force. Um, first, the, the wand enables the wielder to cause a shaft of nearly invisible blue-white energy to spring from the tip. The shaft of energy extends four feet and equal to a plus-five bastard sword. And was, with respect to hit probability and damage, extent, expends one charge per turn. And also you can create a wall of force with this thing. Uh, it could do other things, but basically the wand of force un- out of Unearth Arcana is a lightsaber. <laughs> so there you go. Hmm. There we go. Looking yeah. There. yeah. Cool. Or if you want to write in staff at gmail.com or you can call us 570-825-4210, the hotline, and we'll head into our first segment. Yeah. I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn you. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach you some... Table Manners. Okay, on today's Table Manners, we are going to cover dwarves, but not the the normal dwarves that we know from the first edition player's handbook, but we're going to talk about dwarves from the supplement called Dwarves from Rolades, which was made by Mayfair in 1982. I'm doing that from memory, so correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was 1982 Mm. for the uh, the Dwarves supplement. And so um, I was looking at this supplement, and I'm looking at these dwarves, and I'm thinking, like, these are some strange-looking dwarves here. (laughs) Their, their, Their history is very weird. And it's not the history that most people would be accustomed when, when, when we talk about the regular dwarves from, like, first edition AD&D. Mm-hmm. So just to get an understanding of the history of these dwarves, uh, it, it appears to me as I'm reading this supplement, and this is the Rolaid supplement, so don't get me wrong on this now. When I was reading this supplement, it seemed like dwarves were just living on regular land. They didn't move into the mountains or didn't live in the mountains from the get-go. Uh, did you all catch that part on the history? Mm-hmm. Yep, sure yeah, sure did. And it looks like what happened is that they found Mithril, okay. or Mithril, how you want to pronounce it, and they moved to the mountains when they found this Mithril ore or this vein or whatever it was, and that's where they lived after the time period. And it's kind of funny how they described it because then they said they have homes. So I'm not accustomed to thinking of dwarves with homes inside a mountain. I don't know if that's what they would call it. I don't know what the appropriate term is. I don't know if they lived in caves or they lived in, uh, what do they call, warrens? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the correct word, but I just, I just can't see them living in houses inside a mountain. It just seemed kind of weird to me. So the history was pretty cool in, in the Rolades in, in the Rolades supplement. It, it, it's a lot different because uh, as I look at D and D, you know, uh, dwarves were created by the gods, the dwarven gods, and they lived underneath the mountains. Plain and simple, that was what it was. Right. So, um, and the dwarves, interesting history, a lot different from the regular dwarves. I think. Uh, let me see what kind of differences there were. Race relations. I found that the race relations of dwarves in the Rolaid supplement is a bit different than the race relations they had with races in first edition. Uh, with humans, they had really a good relationship with them. Uh, with elves, they were still, you know, they didn't like, I don't think they liked elves that much because elves kept running away from the battles they were involved in. 
and uh, elves just didn't help dwarves at all, and so it just it's got it has got from worse to really worse. So I think there's some serious issues. Uh, there's almost a hatred for elves, I think, to a certain extent, because the dwarves uh, and the elves aligned for a couple battles in the history that was in the Rolaid supplement, and then in the heat of the battle, the elves took off and left the dwarves alone. So uh, I don't know what the world was going on with those bad boys. Uh, versus gnomes and halflings, they are considered automatic dwarf cousin status. Yeah. So they said, you are related to us, whether you like it or not, even though you don't look like us and you don't have beards and you're shorter and maybe fatter or something, you are automatic uh, distant cousins, which is yeah. pretty good. And, uh, well, we can just go into all the evil humanoids because they didn't like them. Uh, orcs, goblins, all that stuff, they hated them. They destroyed them on site pretty much. So, again, a very interesting history, a very bloody history with the dwarves. Uh, the dwarves went on some uh, campaigns themselves to ensure that uh, that the evil humanoids won't live close to the mountains. So what they do? They burnt down all the forest where the elves were living at. So <laughs> no. I, I, it's just awesome. And uh, it just goes on and on. The history is really great. Now, I saw a portion of where the dwarves in the Rolate supplement, uh, they distrust magic. So it was kind of weird how that came along. Now, it says that you normally did never found magic user dwarves and it kind of left that open-ended so what that means is there is some possibility that there are dwarves that could be magic users and that's how the roll eight supplement differs from first edition ad and d we all know that dwarves can't be magic users right by the book of course right. but the way they talked about the history of dwarves and, and and you know what they like they distrust magic and it seems kind of weird, though, because when they talked about their uh, forges and, and all that stuff where they make weapons, the magic they needed to make these great weapons and these great uh, suits of armor and all this other artifacts and everything, it, it, it just I don't think it's always clerical magic. I mean, you all tell me if I'm wrong on this. I mean, it seems kind of weird, though. I, I don't think all of it's clerical magic. You know, to infuse these armors with like plus five or whatever, and you know, whatever else they was doing to these weapons and artifacts, it just seems kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I covered that, uh, as much as I could on that subject. Now, the supplement covers three types of different dwarves. There's actually a fourth set of dwarves, and I'm, I'm gonna talk about them off in a little later on. But you got your mountain dwarves, hill dwarves, and mine dwarves. Hmm. And I found that kind of funny because the mountain dwarves, their alignments are usually lawful neutral, lawful good. Your hill dwarves are chaotic good, chaotic neutral. I never did quite understand that. What's the difference between a mountain and a hill except one is bigger than the other, but their alignments are, you know, are so skewed. You know, I, I just didn't get that. Hmm. The mind dwarves, however, are chaotic neutral with evil tendencies. So, I, again, I, I, I don't get it. So, if you're born a mind dwarf, you're always chaotic, neutral, or whatever. So, it was huh. kind of weird how they set up these alignments with particular races. So, it's kind of like but then the again, drow is to elves. In, yeah. yeah. So, basically, they're the drow of the dwarves in Rolades. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird how they, they covered that. It was just very interesting, though. Uh, they did cover, this is the fourth uh, group of elves, I mean dwarves that I found that was pretty neat, the Emerald Valley Dwarves. And uh, <laughs> they had a picture of a female dwarf with no beard. So I can only assume that uh, the dwarves in that 
that fit in that Emerald Valley, they don't have beards. Whereas all the other dwarves that were depicted in this book from the mountain hill of mine, they all had beards. So I could assume, and then the female dwarves also had beards when they covered the uh, social uh, status of dwarves, you know, marriage, who they get married to, the clans they belong to, and so on and so on. So they had like a little marriage there. And there's a female dwarf there with a short old beard. And I'm thinking Mm -hmm. like, gross. But whatever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's just... A little mind racking some. Yeah, but to a dwarf, that's probably hubba hubba. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be something. Look at the beard on that girl. (laughs) Yeah, I wish she had hairy underarms too and all that other mess. I I don't know. I don't want to ask that. I shouldn't have asked that. But um, uh, looking at the classes, though, I saw the clerics. I saw where, you know, they're great warriors. But I found something really neat about the thieves. Uh, They have. they don't like thieves. There's not it as many thieves in a dwarven community. They're not trusted, and if they're caught stealing, they get punished very quickly. Either they get expelled or whatever. So again, uh, that was pretty neat there. Um, dwarven traps, they covered a, a nice little thing there on dwarven traps. They're real good at making traps, but don't be a thief and make a trap because that's bad. Yeah. Just, yeah. I've always <laughs> kind of thought like, like when you're talking about dwarven thieves, I've always pictured them as more of like the engineer types, you know, if they're right. if they have thief abilities, they're like engineers and and they they tinker around and they make things, but they know how to take them apart too. But yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool that maybe if they have thieving abilities, maybe it's more of like they they know how to design traps, how to disarm right. them more more they're more on the I guess uh, the engineering the mechanical side of things. Right. And that's a good thing you brought that up because when you read the supplement, the Rolate supplement on dwarves, you get into a lot of that stuff about, you know, who is an engineer, who is a weaponsmith, who is an armorsmith, because that's how these dwarves make their living. Because, uh, and you know, they have a social table on there that covers social class, uh, noble rank, um, birth, you know, birth table, what guild they belong to. So, I mean, they cover all the, the, things that go under a, a dwarven city or a dwarven whatever village would have you and where they play. So once you're born, you're going to this guild, you're going to make armor for the rest of your life or what have you. Right. The thing on the dwarven thieves, though, is that, like I said, there are dwarven thieves. They're not looked at very kindly. And if you're caught stealing, and like I said, clan mentality, they right. all live around one another. And that was another neat thing I saw about their social status is that the, the clans stay among themselves. There right. is no intermarriage among other clans. Yeah, th- it does happen, but I guess, like they said, it's very rare. Yeah, but that's kind of weird. But I'm thinking, if you're all within the clan, if you're all staying married within a clan and you're having uh, dwarven children within the clan, eventually it's going to become, you know, like a, uh, I don't know what the proper word is, just interbreeding. You know, see where I'm coming from? Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder how they they figure that all out. If this is enough people within that clan to where that you wouldn't have that off. It's just weird how it comes up. You know, it's just hindsight, I guess. So again, interesting thing on dwarves. It's it's a lot different than you know the first edition dwarf. Um, One of the things I did like though when I was reading through this, when they were talking about like the uh, you know 
I think this is a great supplement because it talks about things like the courtship and marriage customs of dwarves. If you want that sort of detail in your campaign, it has it. I mean, equality of the sexes. I'm, uh, I love, I actually, one of my favorite parts, even though it's rather short, is the stuff about the food. Yes. I thought it was very interesting that their main source of nutrition is generally coming from edible fungi. They have these giant mushrooms that they grow, and they uh, mushrooms are a staple in the dwarven diet. So I always thought, and they have like a domesticated version of the carrion crawler that they use, huh. apparently. <laughs> yeah. And it says uh, they the main source of meat is from the cavern crawlers, a domesticated tentacle-less cousin of the carrion crawler. <laughs> which often reaches a length of 10 to 12 feet. In addition to providing large quantities of tasty meat, they're also used to haul up miners and their finds from many deep shafts. So I guess it's really tasty. So I just thought it was really interesting, all that. Like, you know, they also, like, they uh, domesticated fish. and They've also uh, mm-hmm. done things about uh, rabbits and squirrels and, and other... Right. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting take on taking... I don't know. Maybe it's me. I always thought an interesting view of any sort of culture is their food. If you look at a culture's food, right, you have a really good insight on the culture itself. And I, you know, I just thought that was a really cool part. And uh, also the thing about you know the uh, the marriages that you touched on was pretty interesting too. Yeah, it's, like I said, it opens a whole new door if you really want to get into dwarven culture. And until the, I actually read the supplement, I can't even recall reading too much detail as much as this Rolaid supplement cover. And I think, like, wow, I don't recall reading anything as far as going into depth of, of how, you know, the social life of dwarves are in their city, in the mountains. And when they said they built houses, and I think, like, I don't think dwarves would live in a house. They just seem kind of weird. But, right. uh yeah, and you know, and I like the thing about how the relationship between men and women, that it is the responsibility of both female and male dwarves to rear the children. It's not left just to the uh, the mother. And they and they have equal social status in, in their in their clans or whatever. Uh, a male is equivalent to the female. It isn't like, okay, dwarf wife, you cook food, you feed children, I go mine. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> And you know what? It kind of makes sense that it doesn't work like that because they're in a very, very hostile environment yeah. that they live in. So they need everybody in the in the in that dwarven clan to work together and do what they need to to survive. Right. So in that, in that sort of way, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Right. And like I said, interesting supplement. I've read, uh, you know, the whole thing on the history and, and the gods and everything. All that stuff is covered in there. And I thought it just this is just a, a, another supplement that can be used to uh, make dwarves a much more enriched character if you want to play them. Now, I will do notice when I, I said, like, what kind of monsters do they fight? And it's real funny. As I was looking back at the monster section, I saw the creature called the Tripus. Mm-hmm. When I looked at the picture, I said, that's a Zorn. Uh-huh. You all can see that? Yeah, it's called a tripus, T-R-I-P-U-S. So I said, hey, that's the Zorn, because it looks exactly like the Zorn, Zorn picture in the Monster Manual 1. And then I saw two weird-looking creatures. I never – the one was called a Hobgork and the Trork. The Hobgork, I believe, was uh, a mixture Hob-goblin of a Hobgoblin and orc. And the okay. Trork was uh, the troll, troll and an orc. And I was like – 
okay here come the aberrations now so yeah yeah overall interesting supplement they they the the uh, the history is pretty good. I, I like how the elves just ran away when the dwarves needed them the most, and it just it explains more on why elves and dwarves really do don't see eye to eye, and not because of their height. Right. <laughs> Very funny. Well, yeah. Well, I'm always getting stuck with the short races. I might as well make some short jokes. <laughs> oh yeah, I see where you're talking about that tripus thing. Yeah, it's a Zorn. That's they probably just couldn't use Zorn because well. It was probably licensed by TSR at the time. They couldn't use that name. I don't we'll, know. We'll talk about that in the next segment a little bit more about TSR versus Mayfair. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, but that's what I have on these dwarves, and like I said, they're they're not the the typical dwarf that you'll find in AD and D first edition, as far as I know. Cool. I yeah, I really like the the detail that they gave to the whole dwarf in society, and 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 it. For this supplement, yeah, they use their own names for certain things in whatever Rolites was doing as far as like a campaign world. I guess the, maybe this was going to be plunked into. Yeah. But who's to say you can't uh, use some of this material for, you know, World of Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or, you know, or for anything? I, right. I think it's uh, really cool that you can take a lot of the basic ideas and use it into any campaign setting. Just the ideas of, you know, dwarven food, race relations, marriages, how the clan structure is. If someone wants to play a dwarf, they really want to, you know, get some really good detail in their their character. There and there are some there are some players who really dig that sort of thing. Just have like a whole huge background in it, or. Here's another thing. Who maybe have like an all dwarf campaign? You might want to do something like that. Maybe you're yeah. all playing dwarves. I I I done a stunty campaign once. Everybody played shorties. Everybody played dwarves, gnomes, halflings. Oh, well, that really... explains the magic user part. If you play a whole party <laughs> dwarves, you ain't got no dwarven magic user. Nope. <laughs> no, unless <laughs> were they, um, Nick, were they trying to save Snow White? No, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> They were trying to get to the Emerald City. No. <laughs> uh, All right. Is that the lollipop guild? The lollipop guild? Because <laughs> it actually expands upon dwarves a lot. It gives a lot of detail. And yeah, it does. Especially with those people that love dwarves. This book is perfect. Pick it up. It is compatible. <clears throat> Excuse me, with first edition, uh, no matter what anybody says. It even right. says it on the cover. It sure does. Yeah. Which it does. It segment. does. All right. So we'll, let's head into our next segment so we can get into that. What the heck is that? Understand, you fool. I have a spell that will work here. What do you mean I can't hit with that? Oh, right. Fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. Game mechanics. Uh, basically, we're going to talk a little bit more about roll aids, and we have, in the two years we've done this podcast, we really haven't talked about like the third party supplement, like roll aids. Right. Uh, Jason did mention it a couple times way back in the past, and we were comparing on the show which ones we had, but we never actually spoke about them. Mayfair put out roll aids back in the eighties. I think as far back as eighty two. You said, well, yeah, eighty two. Yeah, well, I understand that the roll aids are supplements for dwarves. I think came out in eighty two. My son might have came out before then. 
Right. I have no idea. Mayfair picked up after Judges Guild went belly up called City State of the Invincible Overlord. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. I love that. Yes, I have a copy of that box set. I don't have it yet, but yeah. I want to get one. Mayfair <laughs> <laughs> made a deal with TSR to make supplements based on AD&D rules. And all they had to do was put compatible with first edition AD&D on the front cover. Because you'll see a lot of them will say, you know, can be used with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons first edition. Can be used with TSR's Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. A lot of the boxes said that on the front cover. TSR allowed this graciously with, of course, a cut of the profit. But Mayfair set up themselves so they can get away with it in the future to make their own products without having to give TSR money. So a lot of the books, if you flip through them real quickly, you'll see some weird things in it like HTK, ATT, right. Echo. We don't know what that is, right? Yeah. MMR. A lot of them you can just figure out by looking at it real quick. Like HTK would obviously mean the hit dice. It's hits to kill. Right. So uh-huh. That's how they their hit dice. AC they left alone because that's like, I think that's a universal going back from miniature war days, right? Well, yeah. yeah, I think, yes. Okay. Uh, damage they listed as DM. Uh, they used Stacko, obviously, which came about more so in the end of first edition, more towards second edition. So they actually started using Thacko way before anyone else did. Uh, they have attacks as ATT. Magic resistance was just MR. Movement. Now, the movement was different. They didn't do it like first edition did. They just put M with a number and a symbol. And right. the at the front of the book, like a slash number, quote marks meant flying speed, double slash number, Quote marks meant swimming speed. In parentheses meant burrowing speed. Star, pound, or I should say star number, parentheses meant speed in the web. Uh, these were something like for alignment, they put a line. Frequency was the same thing. Number was the same thing. Size was a little bit different. They how they listed it. They put the number next to it with their parentheses. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that was a little bit different. The special was the same, but... Mayfair set this up, and then when Judges Guild went belly up, they bought, or I should say, acquired the rights to City State of the Invincible Overlord and made a five box set. Was it five? One, two. Looking at my one, one, a six box set, I think it is, called the Invincible Overlord, which yeah. they released without permission from TSR as their own standalone campaign world. Yeah. Well, TSR didn't think it was too cute, so they decided to sue. Which made Mayfair stop and sell whatever they had remaining of anything to do with AD&D to TSR, thus ending the Rollades uh, books. Yep. Now, did they did they settle out of court or and just say uh, yeah. TSR bought uh, ended up buying Mayfair, but some of the products, but not all, were was considered in violation of their initial agreement, but not yeah. enough to invalidate the initial agreement. Okay. Right. So, so what they basically sell, say you can sell where you have left, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, no, they. Let's see, let me yeah. get some exact dates here because they didn't buy Mayfair until like the '90s, and that lawsuit was from like the mid '80s. Yeah, it drug out for a while. Let me see. Wow. Here. It was like, well, yeah, it ran... 1993 was when the lawsuit is. Uh, they wanted Al. Let's see, because the agreement. Was the original agreement was struck in eighty four? Mayfair mm-hmm. was sued by TSR in ninety three. Yeah. So the um the city state of the Invincible Overlord box set I have actually has the foreword written. 
by Gary Gygax in 1987. That was the original one that was adopted for our OD&D rules, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, this, the Invincible Overlord box set, which was like 101, 102, 103, 104, 104 those were the ones that they did kind of cutely and on their own. Right. Right. And now, and you said, as far as Invincible Overlord, Gygax in 87, he already was gone from TSR by yeah, about two years. Little, right. Lorraine did it. Uh, at the same time, uh, was it Games Designer Workshop was working on Gary Gygax's game, Dangerous Dimensions. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as they saw what happened, they changed the game to Dangerous Journeys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why that explains the whole name change suddenly from that game. So that's that with uh, what happened between May. A lot of people ask what happened between them, but Mayfair, I know in 2004, was selling their stock, their back stock of all the uh, Rolly products for like half the price of what it should be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, their warehouse, and they just got rid of That's why. If you go on Amazon or whatever, you can see almost all the Rolly products for under like five dollars, brand Jeez. new, in the wrapper. And get it, get it. Yeah, I, yeah, I no get a few of them because some of them are really good, like the demons, the angels. Yep. Mm-hmm. box set, which I found after we did that show, which I needed for that show, and <laughs> <laughs> I got the dwarfs, there's dragons, there's elves. They did a lot of really good ones, a lot of good modules. Uh, the keep, for example, was one of them was really good based off the movie. Mm-hmm. Wait, it that, was a, I remember that one. It was a module, then a movie, and then it was originally actually a book. That's by it. F. Paul Wilson, yeah. and it got adapted to be the movie, which is you know is visually striking, but I guess doesn't it really doesn't follow the novel very well. But <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> they normally don't. <laughs> no. I don't Mayfair still holds the rights to Roll Aids anymore. I don't know if um, they were bought by TSR. Uh, that was the, that's why they stopped making RPG products. TSR bought the, bought out the uh, rights to the Roll Aids line. So the T, yeah. so TSR now Wizards of the Coast actually owns the uh, rights to the Roll Aids. Okay. Huh. Yeah, because they couldn't sue them out of existence because. You can't actually copyright uh, game mechanics, but you can copyright the flavor around it. Or and that's then, how Golden Gaming License got around things, right? Uh, so, and then that just ends into a whole big muckety muck on what is actual intellectual property, what is just considered uh, generic game mechanics. But I'll throw in some links to the actual court documents from the TSR Mayfair if anyone out there actually wants to read through a bunch of legalese. Yeah, and that's after a, that, roll a d6 for sanity. That's how much sanity you lost. Yes, not <laughs> as good a read as reading the Dave Arnerson versus Gary Gygax lawsuit papers. You want to shoot oh, yeah. those a things? A bunch of nerds fighting over games and dice. Yeah, I know. And a word. I mean, good lord. I don't see what the problem is. The company sending out a product that says compatible with. Yeah, and that was part of their the... that was part of their original agreement. Though they were right. not supposed to proclaim compatibility with other systems, they could only say compatible with AD and D. They could not say they're compatible with anything else. And then they put it right on the covers as you know, presented by the editors of Rollades for use with the Dance Dungeons and Dragons role playing game. Right. I mean, that, there that, you go. That was okay. <laughs> Saying they were compatible with any other game system that wasn't AD and D wasn't yes. okay. That was not cool. Yeah. So. You figured the only thing it would do was help, you know, bolster sales and make the game more popular. But when they fight and shut doors, yeah. it just, you know, 
it's, you it's, can only buy from us. If you want to play AD&D, you can only well, buy from us. You can't buy from no one else. That's, that's what happens true. when you think your market is a zero-sum gain. Right. That's when yeah. there's only $1,000 of money out. And if I'm not getting all 1000 and my, if I get 800 my competitor's getting 200 that's 200 I could have had as opposed to thinking right. by letting them have their 200 maybe we'll both be able to make more. You listening, Watsy? <laughs> this is when, around the same time that uh, this happened with Mayfair, also is when TSR got the nickname of the Evil Empire because they went on the web when the web was first introduced and started blaming all those groups. Right. Uh, the Usenet groups and everything that had TSR stuff on it. Not even books. They had like people made up their own stuff. It was like they'd write them and say, please take it down. It's a violation. So that, that management of TSR really were becoming like. I don't know what to say. Evil our empire, right. pretty much. Evil King deciding, you know, any mention of well, it was when Lorraine Williams came into the scene. Oh, no, this was well after Lorraine. I mean, well, oh, not well. after her because the lawsuit was in '93. She took power in like '87, '86, yeah. '87. So yeah, this she was is trying a, to push. Yeah, she was trying to push her own agenda with her little Buck, Buck Rogers. Rogers yeah. junk. Buck Rogers. So this is seven yeah, years uh, past that. This is more yeah, after wow. Second Edition started. And okay. wasn't this around 92, 93 when they just started losing money? Because yeah. four years after that, they, well, four to five years after that, that's when the talks with Watsy and being bought out happened. Yeah, it was like yeah, what, they had that mid, mid late 90s that happened. Right. So this was basically oh. the start of the late 90s. They saw it coming and they were like, how are we going to make some money? Let's sue out our competitors and hope maybe that revitalizes our failing business. Sure, yeah, bring out Spellfire. Boy, was that a failure. That card game stuck. Oh, you mean Misfire? <laughs> yes, yeah. Spellfire, Misfire, Horrible oh. Fire, Burned Out Fire. It was a that was their attempt to, to capitalize on Magic the Gathering, which didn't yeah. work. So. <laughs> yeah, they failed. And the yeah. ironies of that just came later. <laughs> I remember bought, that was bought out by the company that you just tried to beat. <laughs> I remember Magic the Gathering when it first came out. We all called it Geek Poker. <laughs> well, consider, considering it actually did ha originally in the rules have anteing cards and yeah. cards that forced your opponent to bet more cards in it. Yeah, I yeah, was part was. of that for a while. It just became an arms race, and I just said the heck with it, and I sold all my cards. Yeah. Ah, uh, you fell for it? You fell yeah. for it? Uh, yeah. I, I did, too, for, like, the period of, like, a year. So. I never fell for it. They fall for other games, but just not magic. Well, I also dabbled in like the Illuminati CCG, and I was just trying out all kinds of stuff because I didn't. Up until the mid two thousands, I never really had a game store. All I had was a comic shop and the games they ran there. So I never really got to experience the joys of having a game store that sold RPG books. I had yes, I know. Sad. I was fortunate that they did sell some like uh, old uh, Avalon Hill uh, box set uh, bookshelf uh, board games, but I never had the RPG home. I had to go to like Walden Books for all my RPG stuff. B Dalton. B Dalton. Yes, the mall yeah. bookstores were my friends. Yeah, I actually was lucky. I had a place called Waterloo, which I said in the past. Will would love that place because there was. Like, yeah, a I, I had a place store. that I went to as well. It was awesome. Star Realm. Great place. Go there almost every weekend through my teen years. Mm. And what you know what? 
Sorry, Will, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. No, I was just thinking, you know, when you all brought up Mayfair Games, I just recalled. Recall. Mayfair Games has the rights to uh, print and publish Settlers of Catan. Yes, which yeah. is a great game. Which is the right. number one board game right now, I believe, that's being played right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? They're doing great. Yeah, they don't they're care. Doing, yeah, they don't care. They're doing good. You know yeah. what? They they, they have, have a seven. huge booth at Origins. They're doing yes. fine. They they decided to go <laughs> Euro board game. That is their thing. Euro style board games. At Gen Con, they have like the biggest space I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Oh, you're not gonna mess with them. They're a powerhouse right now when it comes to Settlers of Catan and all those games. Yeah. Yeah, big deal. Big deal. Yeah, back. so good on Mayfair. You know, good on Mayfair. I love them. You know what? They had Cosmic Encounters, too. I love that board game, too. You know what? I like Mayfair. Oh, I like yeah. Mayfair, too. Yeah. I wish they would make a two-player board game for people, just like a mini two-player game. It's called chess. <laughs> Let's hit well, I was, I was going to go a little simpler than that. I would say tic-tac-toe. <laughs> You know, Will, you're becoming Will Wheaton to me. Now stop it. Wheaton! <laughs> Wheaton! Anyway, I'll uh, end the creature feature. Now, before we do that, you know, when you bring up Will Wheaton, you know, I don't have no love for the guy, but I don't have no hate for him. But I just watched that Family Guy episode, and then when they, they said, Will Wheaton, Will, you know, they, they, I don't know, they couldn't pronounce his name right, because he has two W's in his name. Oh, so Wheaton? Yeah. Wheaton. <laughs> That's a joke Wheat. between Stewie and Brian when they, when Stewie right. kept with the cool whip. Cool whip. Cool cool <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he some cool whip. He some cool whip. Yeah. <laughs> All right, enough about Will Wheaton, and let's go on to Creature Feature. That is not it. That is not it. And with strange ears, even death may die. All right, everybody, it's DM Nick here, and kind of going on with our Rolaids line of products that we're featuring in this podcast uh, this time. Uh, we're going to take something for the creature feature uh, out of the Rolaids Monsters of Myth and Legend, uh, that book, and we're going to talk about this monster called the rattlesnake monster now mm -hmm. this one's actually out of uh would have been a north american myth when you're talking about uh, native american tribes and uh looking through this when i read this rattlesnake monster now think of was it the uh midgard serpent it's kind of basically like the north american indian take on the midgard serpent in a way this thing is ginormous. Yeah, it's huge. And in the text of this, they said the original snake, according to the myth, would have geographically lived in western Montana and eastern South Dakota. That's how long that thing was. So it was like over 800 miles long. <laughs> and it had a two-mile wide mouth. So, yeah. Huge. Yeah, huge. The ones that in the supplement, they're talking about, oh, it's offspring, something like that. So they're only like, you know, a mile and a half to three miles long. <laughs> so um, a little bit more about the monster itself. It it 
can move at a rate of D20 plus 10 melee rounds and movement of a rate of one. <laughs> so it doesn't move very long, I mean far. <laughs> so it's a pretty slow mover. Now, this is interesting about the hit points, though. Mm -hmm. The hit points are listed as 100, okay? Yeah. But it's there's a unique twist on this. Because the thing is so huge, if the... The player characters actually reduce its HTK, which they use as hits to kill, which is the analogous to the hit points. If they reduce it to 100. Uh, the DM needs to roll a uh, percentile. Now, if he rolls 100%, that means you actually hit a vital spot on the snake and you killed it. But if you didn't, there's no effect. <laughs> so theoretically, the, it has unlimited hit points. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So okay. it sounds like to me. Yeah. So you have a one in one hundred chance to kill this thing if you reduce the zero zero hit points. If not, there was basically no effect, and you start all over again at a hundred hit points. So yeah, it's it's nasty. Uh, the blood is poisonous. If you're splashed with it, you can take three d eight damage unless a save versus poison is made. Then you take a d six. Uh, it could splash up to. 30 yards away or more. Uh, it has a crushing attack, which covers all characters within the range of the rattlesnake's monster movement. Uh, the crushing attack does 8d10 damage, and there's no two-hit roll. If the characters are within the rattlesnake monster, where where the rattlesnake monster slithers over to them, they take damage. That's it. <laughs> you can have an armor class minus bazillion, you're going to get hit. You could get swallowed by this thing. And beyond that, it's so long that if you you can live for a while in it, you can actually have random encounters in this thing. <laughs> it does say that. The labyrinthine interior of the rattlesnake monster does not necessarily correspond with the size exterior. Maybe larger or smaller. And um, there's a 5% chance per week to find the heart of the monster, so you might be able to kill it there. And then it says, wandering monster rolls should be made once per day while living inside the snake. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, this would make a very unique, not only encounter, but it's like encounter and like mini adventure all wrapped into one. Yeah. <laughs> in a way he could probably have this rattlesnake monster somehow come by swallow the entire party and you could have a dungeon inside the snake yeah it'd be real <laughs> it'd be really interesting if you could figure out a way to have them get swallowed into it without knowing so they just right. think they're lost yeah they think they're lost it's like why is the ground? Think about uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, you know when they're inside the space slug. Right. Like, and then there's that five percent chance when they're wandering around per week of finding its heart. So they're just walking around and they see this giant beating heart. <laughs> and you're like, "What's that? Poke kill?" Yeah. <laughs> Magic resistance on this thing is forty five percent. Uh, size immense. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Yeah. Oh, and the alignment is neutral, like our uh, land lamprey. So, <laughs> intelligence <laughs> is low. <laughs> yeah. Cool. One thing I definitely like about the monsters is the whole legend section on on that. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to mention that at the end of each section. I'm glad you picked that up. There is 
a, a few paragraphs, a snippet of how it fits into that particular culture's legend. Mm-hmm. In this way, like for the uh, the rattlesnake monster, there's two other mythical creatures, the metal lark and not metal lark lemon. And <laughs> metal lark, they're talking to the coyote of trying to find the rattlesnake monster. And it just goes on from there and how it involves coyote and... Um, it's really cool how each section has a little bit about the legend of the creature. So, yeah, yeah see, I, I like the monster. I thought it was pretty cool, but I'm su- I'm surprised being a rattlesnake and you couldn't hear it. I mean, give me a break. It, it the rattle alone yeah. must have been huge. Rattle would cause earthquakes. That's yeah, what I sonic would. damage or something, you know, rattle, rattle, rattle. I mean, that thing would rattle anybody. You know, well, I was reading this, and my first impression was, this is insane. But then I kind of thought, like, you know what? This is very unique because then you can have a whole adventure inside the monster. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm seeing <laughs> That's like actually kind of cool. Yeah, I'm seeing like you're in a village and you just hear this noise off in the background that's getting larger and larger. Yeah, and then yeah. it's like this impending doom, like the horde of locusts coming. No, it's a giant rattlesnake coming, yeah, and it swallows the whole village and, or something. Yeah, and it's just destroying. Town yeah. after town in its path. It's it's like some cheesy fifties horror movie. Attack yeah. Gila Monster. Yes, Attack. giant Gila Monster. There you go. Uh, la la Gila Hava. Oh, <laughs> I'm putting MST3K neck. I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> favorite shows ever. I know. So, I'm the lizard. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I guess the only way you really could have any issues with it if you get a Tarask involved. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Let them fight it out. Hey, just swallow the Tarrasque. Let the Tarrasque deal with it. Yeah. You know, I, I think this thing could take a Tarrasque. What if it just you... swallowed the Tarrasque and the Tarrasque is a wandering monster inside it? Oh, now that's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know what, though? It, if being a mythical creature and kind of going on with this whole thing, you could have like an adventure inside this rattlesnake monster. It's. There's the possibility, because it says random encounters inside the creature, there's the possibility that there could be a whole society living with inside the right. rattlesnake monster. Right. What if you started <laughs> your adventure inside it? You, yeah, you... there's like a whole culture inside the rattlesnake right. monster that yeah. has built itself up. Yeah, you have a whole little world in there that's lived there for who knows how long, and you, that's what you start your adventure in, and you just think they're all is this primitive little culture, and your party, they're adventuring, they're killing monsters, because there will be, like, loot and all that in there. New loot will come in, so it seems like there's a whole big world, then eventually they find their way out. Right. And imagine that shock when they see the outside world in the sun for the first time. Yeah, there's there's a science fiction novel like that. They didn't know they were on a world ship, and some they find out that they are or something like that. Similar kind of idea. So I don't know what do you, what do you guys think, uh, uh, Vince, about this creature? I like this creature. It's definitely interesting. I I could see it fitting in anywhere, and definitely watching that Attack the Giant Gila Monster movie would give you a lot of ideas. Yes. Adding <laughs> giant lizard like creature, especially if you watch the MST3K version, which is the best version. Yes. <laughs> So there you are, the rattlesnake monster. Experience points, it says 22,000, but you know, I think that's a little low. <laughs> I think if you kill this thing, I think just, you know, the campaign kind of ends. <laughs> you know, what, could, what else could you do after that? You just killed a three-mile-long 
rattlesnake. Well, just imagine to the societies living inside it if you killed it. What happens oh, yeah, to them? Oh, All of a sudden, yeah, their world... A million experience points of killing everything inside it when you kill you it. You just killed a pocket universe. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Now you got to live with that guilt. But now I could think of like different ways that you could use some of the really weird, the slimy, creepy monsters... You could put them inside there because you could <laughs> inside the giant rattlesnake. It'd be kind of a thing that would probably live in there. So that's yeah, just weird. And the great thing about this is this this book, uh, Monsters of Myth and Legend. There's there was a second one made also. Yeah, this perfect if you can pick this up on Amazon or eBay for a couple bucks. Your players who are so used to playing the game probably will not know any of these monsters in here because, frankly, no one paid much attention to roll aids back then. Right, yeah, you could really spring some uh, pretty cool uh, nasties upon your players here. Like, uh, what's one that was pretty cool? Oh, from the they actually picked up on some from uh, uh, from Australia. Uh, one called the Malinge. It's like mm-hmm. a night spirit. Looks pretty nasty. Yeah, a lot of good creatures in here. A lot of really deadly creatures. Worth like this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely flip through it. You could probably get a lot of good ideas and, and uh, make, make it your own creature. I highly recommend, highly recommend this book, and I highly recommend making your own creature, as in taking a creature you already know and molding it into a different creature so your players don't know. Absolutely. Like, there's one creature in here, the jackrabbit. <laughs> Do you see that one? Yeah. <laughs> the giant jackrabbit. <laughs> Put it in a cave with surrounded by a bunch of corpses. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Is it behind the rabbit? No, it is the rabbit. It's the rabbit. <laughs> you stupid sod. Hey. Don't call that bad boy Bugs Bunny. Yeah. What do you think about sod podcast? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, let's head to our last segment. As the secret portal yields to your efforts... Stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies the dragon's horn. And now to continue our Roll Aids theme, we're going to another Roll Aids book, Fantastic <laughs> Treasures. This is the first one, I think, the first book they did. Yeah. Yes. I actually have this one. Oh. <laughs> the Roll Aids line. <laughs> Woohoo! I think I got it because of the cover. There's some really cool magic items in this book. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, and and the one we're going to talk, the two we're going to talk about actually will tie into uh, last week's podcast. These are Gabriel's items. Gabriel, yes. the uh, Archangel of Mercy, Judgment, and Revelation. We're going to discuss his flaming sword and his trumpet. Yes, his uh, flaming sword's a plus five sword only used by lawful good characters. Other characters get to take one d ten damage if they every round they hold it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when it's removed from the scabbard, it the blade becomes a flame. So you can that's kind of like the a lightsaber ish if you wanted yeah. it to flame. So, but uh, this can only be used by those of the lawful good. Otherwise, they'll be taking all that damage. And, yeah, it's Blade Becomes a Flame. My first thought was, okay, so this is just a uh, another ver- variant of the Holy Avenger because they're both yeah. plus five swords, lawful good. 
Except the Holy Avenger is actually kind of forgiving to other alignments where it's actually, you still get a plus two. Unless but, you're evil. Yeah, unless you're evil. But what's... Different because it's a sort of justice, okay, pal? Yeah, so yes, you yeah. can go around and just start killing things. Lots of things. Or just say, here, could you just hold this for a second while I go, <laughs> go to the bathroom? <laughs> Whatever you do, don't let it drop. Sure, it'll burn a little bit, but it's okay. Just hold on. <laughs> probably could have used a sword and dog one, but you know. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and then, but the one that I really found interesting was his trumpet. Because when this trumpet, when you when sounded, resurrects all dead within earshot. I mean, you d there is a percent chance based on the uh, level of the character. It's the level of the character blowing it times 5%. Then you subtract 1% per day of the thing, the character was dead or the creature. So, and it can only be used once per uh, dead character. But if you're on like a massive battlefield where both sides had tons of corpses and you blow the trumpet, you could have a lot of people coming back to mm. start killing each other again. And then the trumpet's useless on them. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of weird because you would think it only would do like the angelic side or the good side. It just does everyone. Yeah, this is like everything. And then I... It's also interesting because when it says on Judgment Day, Gabriel be raised to the to the, a level approaching infinity to ensure all the dead will be raised. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is it's just like the ultimate uh, resurrection. But I I can see giving this to a party and like okay we can bring back our dead companion and they do it after they just had like a battle with like a dragon. They blow yeah. it. Their character fails to percent roll, but the dragon succeeds. <laughs> oh, great! The other interesting thing about the trumpet that it like for its appearance will coincide with the society. Yes, it, it yeah it morphs into whatever is culturally appropriate, too. Okay. Yeah, and both the trumpet, well, the sword when removed, will have the unpronounceable most holy name of God appear on it. Right. And then. Yeah, and then when you just look at the value of it, the sword, 30,000 gold. The trumpet, 200,000. So, well, yeah, it could raise the dead. Not just a dead. Lots and well, lots of dead. The, the question I have about the, the flaming sword of Gabriel, mm -hmm. now, it's it's a long sword, so even, it just flames, it turns into, the, the blade turns into a, a flame yeah, when you yeah. grip when you pull it from its sheath, correct? When you yes. grasp it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what damage does it do? Just longsword damage? Or does yeah. it do like longsword damage plus some sort of flame damage? I or? would give it the bonus for some sort of uh, any sort of flaming sword. So I would just pull out what's a flaming sword do out of the DMG and add plus five. Mm. Okay. Yeah, because it is no. Gabriel's sword, so it has to be a little better than just your standard, hey, I got a plus five sword. Right. I, I would hope so. If he's out there slaying devils and all that crap, he better be doing more than eight, uh, six points of damage or whatever it is. Yeah, I was kind of thinking like it because it says, uh, you know, one to ten uh, points of damage when a non-lawful good touches it. I yeah. would think that would be like the flame damage. Right. I, yeah. You well, know, along with standard longsword damage, another D10 of fire damage, maybe something like that. Well, it's a longsword with a gleaming steel blade and a golden hilt. And I never pronounced it. Tamagramaton, whatever. Tetragrammaton. 
Yeah, the unpronounceable and most holy name of God. Yeah, strictly forbidden to be spoken. Yes. Yeah, which no one can pronounce pretty much or said and is on the side of the blade. I, you know, this might actually be a forgotten that could have been an errata later on telling what the damage of the flame was. Yeah. Oh, I would probably use the, the DM. Yeah, there you go. But I would think that you would put the damage in saying the flaming. Maybe it, there was no damage for it. It was just, uh, you know. Yeah, the flaming for flavor. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah, just rule that as you like. I mean, I like adding flaming damage because, really, it should be doing more than just plus five, being Gabriel's sword. Yeah, that's how I kind of figured, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah a lot so. of, I can see that as a quest item. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like this evil, bad necromancer guy is trying to take over the world with undead, and he decided that he's going to go find Gabriel's trumpet so he can blow the horn on the highest mountain to, you know, bring back all the undead to fight for him or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually I'm just having flashbacks to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but instead of seeking the Holy Grail, you're seeking Gabriel's trumpet. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's cool. That's there's nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, that's what it would be. It's it's an artifact, and you're trying to protect it so it doesn't fall in the hands of evil people. They will either want to use it for their own diabolical purposes or just to uh, maybe to keep them from destroying it. Yeah. But I seriously doubt they're going to de- destroy that sword if they have the uh, true name of, of God on, on, on the blade itself. Right. So I can imagine what those devil lords or the arch devils are thinking about something like that. Yeah. Or Actually, we'll- flip to uh, page 56 is the Holy Grail itself. Oh. It's just called the Grail, but it's just referred to as the Holy Grail. So if you want to get uh, stats for the Holy Grail, you can do that in your campaign. Yeah. Yeah, the Grail is in the Fiend Folio, too. Yeah. Yeah. I could even see, like, the players being tricked into by some evil person trying to retrieve Gabriel's trumpet, and they come across Gabriel defending it. Listen to this, the Grail. It disappears in the presence of characters other than good. Okay, so anybody but good can see it. Characters other than good have a chance to be stunned or killed. <laughs> uh, so not only not see it, you're gonna get killed by not seeing it. It does say see below, and I'm looking below. The chance to be killed can be avoided if the character changes his alignment instantly. <laughs> okay. And, it, the- and then it says if he betrays the new good alignment in the future, he dies. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How does it anybody that's not good see it to be killed? Right. That 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 doesn't make sense. What did it say again? Pretty much anyone other than good have a chance to be stunned or killed, but anybody but good can't see it. <laughs> it disappears in the presence of people other than good. And will reappear elsewhere in some random or GM location. Basically, if evil's trying to grab it, it teleports itself. Yeah, anybody other than good alignment that even sees the growl has a chance to be stunned or killed. Okay, that's how it is. No saving throw. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. Ouch. Yeah, let's see. It, it restores and enhances fertility and productivity in a 50-mile radius. So if you're seeking it, that could actually be a nice little tip on how to find it. Be like, hey, there's this village that's been seeing a lot of a burst recently out of the normal. And they yeah. have plenty of food and drink. <laughs> Well, you don't need to grill for that. You just get those chakra, chakra stones like from Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Remember when they remove those stones, the village died. But when they bring the stones back, the village is full of life again. Oh, just a thought. All you have to do is kill a crocodile or two because they swallowed three of them when that guy fell off the cliff. 
<laughs> yeah. That really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Look like Ed Wood footage, pretty much. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Tell us what you think. Write us in and uh, let us know. And we'll I think that'll put a wrap on the show. Yeah, yeah. I think so. We'll be doing a few more revisits to Rollades in the future, and I'll sure be finding Will a yeah. short class to review again. You know what's uh, funny er- is, uh, at, you know, we've done a couple of these Rollades stuff, and it's funny. At first, I could recall I didn't think much of them when they were first out, but now that I've got to look at the material. There's some really cool stuff in there. You know, I really missed out the first time around. A lot of them are really powerful. Yeah. yeah. A lot of god. I mean, the stuff on the dwarves is really phenomenal. It's really good material there. Well, if you want to do anything on short people, we can do it on pecs. <laughs> no, there's actually pecs. They they they're in the monster manual too. Yeah. Oh, those pecs. <laughs> no, not from Willow. You know what though? I do remember somebody. I I I'm somebody made a supplement for D and D when Willow came out. There was a Willow supplement. There was. I remember that, too. Yeah. Peck, 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 peck. <laughs> Jeez. Is the Ark of the Covenant in this thing, too, or no? Um, see, I wouldn't be surprised. I'll let's see a write-up of the Ark of the Covenant just to see how that looked. You know, it's funny how you bring that up because I was looking at that uh, Green Ronin's. It is. Uh, Testament. I mean, they did that testament on the old play, uh, role playing in the Old Testament era. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't mess around with those artifacts. Those things, humans just left them alone. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I would like to have seen Moses' staff or maybe Noah's Ark somewhere in there. Well, they have Ark of the Covenant here, which I'm just looking for. I can't seem to find the page offhand, but. Oh. Yeah, you definitely don't want to touch that bad boy. Yeah. Don't open it. What if you blew the uh, horn Gabriel's trumpet by the Ark of the Covenant? What happens? <laughs> oh, I have no idea, but I believe it's supposed to uh, blow the chauffeur. <laughs> yeah, I... Here we go. Ark of the Covenant destroys any snake or scorpion within 100 yards. Destroys anyone attempting to use it for evil. So that's how you get wow. rid of that rattlesnake monster, the Ark there of the Covenant. Oh, he swapped the Ark of the Covenant. That's what you got to do. You got to find it inside the snake and open it, and I'll kill the snake. Yeah. Misfortune comes to enemies who steal it until they return it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Ark of the Covenant is a large chest in which the stone tablets contain the Ten Commandments replaced. Hmm. Interesting. Good. Another good thing that you're putting in Well, they chest. also have the axe of Paul Bunyan in here, too. <laughs> yeah, they have all different things in here. So, anyway, some great products some people might have missed out on. You should definitely pick them up. Yeah. I don't think they were born when they came out. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I passed on a lot of them, and I did pick up later on in the later 80s when I, I when they had the whole lawsuit going. What was the 90s? The 90s, I picked up a lot of them when they were like half price at bookstores and things like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that's going to wrap up the show. So I'm going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and keep it blunt weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Good night. Take care. Roll for initiative.